0: Wolfpack, thanks so much for tuning into the fantasy fullback dive today. Before we pave your path to 2020 fantasy titles, a quick announcement. We're looking to add new lead blockers to crush it with this summer. Writers, video, dev, marketing, finger massagers. If you're passionate about fantasy and you want to join this young, energetic startup with a limitless DK Metcalf ceiling, slide on into the Wolf's DMs on Twitter at RotostreetWolf or hit us up at RotostreetJournal on Facebook or Instagram and learn more details. Also, for show notes and bonus goodies for today and every episode, visit FF bdpod.com. All right, chin straps on, let's go. Fullback
1: belly. Three tight ends, including Haydner. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. pile triangle. for the touchdown.
0: What a So I the, bills up in my heart. I the fantasy fullback dive is thrilled to welcome on for a second time now, the new Roto World writer. He's the co-host of the Living the Stream podcast with J.J. Zacharyson, owner of both the Draft Day Consultants, and according to him, some very low T and some new flow since the last time I saw you. <laughs> Looking fantastic there. <laughs> Mr. Denny Carter, how are you doing, man?
1: I'm doing well. Thanks so much. I appreciate you having me on and, and even more. Uh, importantly, I appreciate you complimenting my hair because I'm feeling very self-conscious about about the, the mullet back here.
0: Uh, it's fantastic, Logs, man. You can't, you can't feel self-conscious about that. You gotta let it rip. I love it. I love it. How long has that been, how long has that kind of created, oh, to, you know, taken to create yeah. there?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. Um, so I usually get a haircut every three to four months. Mm-hmm. And so I, I get it really short on, on the sides, really, like super, super short, and then, you know, kind of trimmed on the top. it's been 10 months now. And, and so, you know, but but when I tell people that their, their initial reaction is always, um, dude, how is it not longer than that? It's been 10. I said, because it started, you know, the side started like four millimeters long. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Right. Are you you planning to just let it go for another like 10 months and just see how long uh, this thing
1: rips? Man, (laughs) I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I can deal with it. It's starting to get annoying. You know, like, um, the other day, I was telling someone today, the other day I was shaving, and you know, you know, you bent over the sink, and I couldn't shave properly because my damn hair was in my face, you know, like on my cheeks. So at a necessity, uh, I had to figure out how to tie my hair back uh, to, in order to shave, and I and I, I had no idea what I was doing. I have a little bit of practice with my four-year-old daughter, a little bit um usually she screams because i don't know how to do it correctly so i end up yanking her hair it makes me feel horrible um but i i managed and i had my hair in a ponytail while i shaved <laughs> wow
0: that, that'd be a great image i just <laughs> pictured it right now I'm sure that was fantastic uh, but yeah so we're here just again the part of the 2020 fantasy wolf series and and it's kind of just as expected with Denny you have such unique varied content all throughout the industry so we couldn't really lock down like a I'm trying to give the agenda here a clear-cut feature we've got some different players you've been writing about we got some prop bets you've been writing about uh, we got kickers of course when it comes to Denny you got to get kickers in there uh, a right. question about late round tight ends so we're going to be all over the place but it's, uh, it's certainly going to be some useful information last time we had you on, I think it's been a couple years now uh, but it was a fantastic pod our, our listeners loved it so we're we're, we're right. thrilled you're, you're willing to come back on and join the show, man. Really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, I mean, as as long as we can talk kickers, you know, that's that's my main uh, requirement with uh, with podcasts. <laughs> my my lawyers won't sign on to anything if we're not talking about about kickers.
0: Exactly. So yeah, we got, we made sure that's probably the most loaded segment we have, like follow up (laughs) questions about kickers and, and you're as good as they come in the industry on that. But uh, before we dive into those player specific questions, as we do with every wolf, we like to kind of pick your brain a little bit, your process and all that good stuff. And I always Mm -hmm. just start with what's kind of been your path into the fantasy industry. You know, when did you get involved and what kind of advice do you have for others looking to break into the space?
1: Yeah. um, I've been thinking about that lately. After signing on with uh, Roto World a couple weeks ago, and, uh, you know, I, I, this is my second week now working for them, and, and I was thinking about how, how I got here, you know. Um, mostly, I had questions that I wanted to answer uh, about certain players or certain teams or maybe a strategy, a certain strategy, whether it's in-season or, you know, draft strategy. And I had questions about those things, so I would, you know, do the, do the homework uh, come up with some sort of write-up, uh, trying to put my thoughts on, on paper. Um, and eventually I said, you know, I, I want to publish this. Like I, like I would like to get this out there. And it wasn't as, uh, a biggest step for me maybe because I come from a journalism background. I'm used to getting things published. I, you know, like I, I don't, I don't write unless it's going to be published. So I figured, well, I might as well. Can I might as well do that with this with this fantasy stuff. And you know, um, a couple guys were really nice to let me start writing for them, including Chet Gresham at uh, the Fake Football back in the day, and Josh Moore at four, four, com. And then uh, you know, things you kind of snowball. People ask you to write for them. You ask to write for people, and uh, eventually, you're writing for 15 publications. You can't even keep track. So that's that's how I started.
0: Awesome, yeah. Just getting out there as much as you can, and and now you're you know one of the premier powerhouses everybody recognizes <laughs> right, in, in well, Roto World. Um, I, I,
1: yeah, I was just going to say, just if I could if I could offer just one piece of advice for new people, it would be to answer the questions that you have in a comprehensive, in depth way, uh, and then you, because you know that other people have those same questions. Um, and it could be very, a very small question about a player, a situation, an offense, whatever. If, it, if you answer it in a way that will make sense to people, whether they agree or disagree, uh, people will want to read that.
0: Exactly. Yeah. It, 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 the way you're framing that, too, is if you approach it as a question that you're researching, you're more likely to at least consider both sides while you answer mm-hmm. it, too, which is always my favorite articles when you, you can kind of see both sides. And then ultimately, I like when the author also makes a decision whether I agree with it or not, too. So I've noticed that in your analysis. I think on the last podcast uh, I had you on, I kind of shouted out what drew me to you. You had an article about like Mark Tressman way back in the day. Yeah, I did, Were you, you dug into like Matt Forte is going to blow up. And he did. He had like, I think a hundred catches that year. And, mm-hmm. and I was like, damn this fantasy analysis <laughs> was like one of my first or second years into it. It can really get deep. And that's what I loved about it. Uh, cool. So and you still continue to bring it. So I'll always remember that one. That was one of my first introductions. Nice. Man, that was,
1: that was a long time ago, man. That was yeah. se- seven years ago or something. And, and yeah, always go with Tressman's running backs. That's, that's the, the key.
0: Exactly, um, and and you also mentioned too uh, that you run the the draft day consultants. Uh, yeah. When did that kind of start? what are some different services and things you guys offer
1: mm-hmm. there? Yeah, uh, DraftDayConsultants.com. We've been around. This will be our seventh season, um, and we offer a range of services. We offer pre draft consultation where uh, you know a client will you know Zoom or Skype or you know smoke signal with our consultants and uh talk with them about how they want to approach the draft and then the consultant will give some advice based on league scoring league settings positions whatever uh if it's a keeper league uh you know that obviously changes the the formula for how you approach a draft so uh lots of pre-draft uh stuff you know in Mm -hmm. the early parts of august um in draft is our most popular service that's where uh during a, a remote draft usually um Although I do have stories about live drafts people people uh, <laughs> secretly texting uh, <laughs> awesome. consultants to ask them questions. Uh, that's always, that's always fun. But um, yeah, the in draft is, is just us saying, you know, here's, how, here's what I would do with this pick and let's, let's uh, queue up this, this person, let's queue up this defense, whatever, whatever it is, you know, later in the, in the draft, let's get, let's get you set. Uh, and if the person doesn't feel comfortable, it's their, you know, it's their team. We're just offering our advice during right. the, during the draft. And then finally, we have a season long consultation where it's basically helping you work the waiver wire. Um, And that has proven, I think, a tremendous value for clients who sign up for it. Um, It's not nearly as uh, common as in draft because I think people like to do that part themselves. Um, But I would say this year, if there truly is a season this year, uh, working the waiver wire is going to take on way more importance than usual. You're going to have to make waiver wire moves that you would have never dreamed of in previous Mm -hmm. seasons. And, and the quicker you are with that and the more informed you are about who's up next, who would get opportunity. If this guy is put on the COVID IR, you know, that that, it's going to add a layer. Uh, of, of complexity uh, to working the waiver wire that we, we don't, we don't even, we can't even wrap our heads around it right now. It's it's going to mm-hmm. take some, some time for us to get used to. So I would say uh, non in a non-biased way, I would say our season long package is right. more important than ever folks.
0: Absolutely. It is going to be a extremely strange year. And I actually, a new question, I kind of added to the list for our our, our future wolves because it is, especially you know even today as we're recording the MLB you know the Marlins whole thing is going down and yeah. and who knows what the hell's going to happen so maybe it's a doomsday and just season's canceled at some point is worst case but let's kind of hypothetically say you know we we get a season as you're entering it, you just mentioned some of the in-season complications that are no doubt going to arise, and why you know the consultant service would be so useful for an in-season package. But like, while you're approaching the season, have you kind of has the COVID nineteen impacted your rankings and process at all as you're going into it?
1: I think at this point, you just have to assume sixteen games for everybody. Still, um, you know, until we start getting news in August about. You know, players certain players uh being you know testing positive uh then i think we just have to to assume that what, what do you think i
0: agree it, it's what i'm kind of the, the i've seen a lot of issues and i had a great podcast that scott barrett and uh, sigmund bloom had recently i was listening to and they were talking also about kind of the you know rookies and the learning curve and with no otas and the importance of continuity and things like that and I have that, you know, i was so high on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, for an example. Like, mm. I-, I thought it was a perfect landing spot, and I still do. I really like a lot about it. But is he going to now take, you know, it was already going to be a little bit of a wait to get to him, and now is it going to take even more? And now can I burn my third-round pick on him? If if I'm going to have to wait, you know, seven, eight games, am I still going to be in contention? So I don't know. And I, Do I just stick with my original gut? Am I adjusting mm-hmm. it? I'm kind of starting to lean that way. That especially for complex roles and receivers on new teams and things like that, where rapport is important, I, I am starting to bump them down just a little bit and, and bump up the people that have that continuity. The Tyree kills and the
1: yeah. the
0: Pat Mahomes and things. I don't know. I, I, are you reacting in that sense at all? Like bumping no, people down?
1: That's. I think that's a fair um, assessment. And I, you know, I think the same goes maybe for rookie quarterbacks as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, if yeah. you know, not that in a one quarterback league, you usually wouldn't you know have to take Tua at any point but maybe the lack of reps means that he's you know for superflex purposes and for two QB purposes maybe that means that he he you know he will start the season uh, on on the bench mm-hmm. and maybe it'll take some some more time than than we would have thought you know right. uh in superflex he's you know been a pretty good target really late in drafts because with a regular with a normal situation, you you would imagine that um, the Dolphins would be desperate to give him ball week one, um, yeah. but I don't think I don't think that you can bank on that now.
0: Right, absolutely, yeah, a huge new layer of risk added, and so in general, obviously, COVID's kind of impacted our process this year in certain ways, like we're talking about, but. In general, do you ever kind of, when you're just a new season's kind of hitting, you know, February hits, it's the end of the year. Do you have any type of, like, routines or practices you follow when you're kind of beginning to develop your evaluations and rankings?
1: Yeah, I I don't usually start that until much later in the year, um, you know, when we're talking about seasonal leagues, because unless you are heavy into best ball, uh, you know, things change so much uh, from, from the end of one season to the beginning of the next. I mean, things even change, you know, we we, uh, we spend so much time in June and July hammering out exactly how we feel about a certain offense or a certain, you know, running back or receiver situation. And by the end of August, you look back at that analysis and you think, well, that was all for naught. Like that, like all of that is now out the window because right. of this injury or this bit of news or a trade. You know, before the season, just or you know, just something, something happens. You know, things, things happen. Um, that that you know completely void out everything that we've worked yeah. on for for months. So, um, I I would say I wait until at least mid to late July to to really look at. Uh, You know, especially, you know, players who are who I believe are being undervalued or overvalued uh, based almost strictly on 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 likely volume. Mm -hmm. You know, if I if I see a player going high up in the draft where I can't quite I can't quite figure out where his opportunity is going to come from, uh, even if it's a great, productive, uh, efficient player if I can't figure out where the opportunity is going to come from, I I'm skeptical. And then vice versa, if I see someone later in the draft where I say, wait a second, this, this receiver, this running back, usually we're talking about receivers, honestly, but uh, you know, has, uh, um, has more than enough uh, cushion here from where he's being drafted. Um, Why is he, why is he being taken taken in the seventh when he's probably going to see more volume of opportunity than, than the guy going two rounds ahead of him. And so th- those are the things I try, I try to look at, I try to focus on uh, in the summer.
0: I, I feel like you just kind of answered the uh, next question I have on here, uh-huh. where there's all these different factors to fantasy success. And it, it, to me, you know, whether it's talent, you know, opportunity, as you just said, surrounding talent and, and the scheme, all different factors. To me, to you, is it just, you know, opportunity is the first one, and that's really the, the driver no matter what?
1: Yeah, you know, I I don't I don't trust myself to evaluate um, talent, and in the end, I think that banking on that is um, puts a lot of confidence in something that can be really wrong, uh, yeah. and that is your your subjective analysis of a player. Um, and a lot of times we say, well, this guy, you know, this guy's so good. He's so good. And every, and everybody can see it. Like if you've ever watched Mm -hmm. football, you can say, Oh, this guy's good. But if his coaches don't agree, and if they don't act accordingly, then what does it matter? Like, who cares that he's good? He's on the bench. You know, like we, we went through this, the the ultimate, uh, you know, example of this, I think was when we all knew that that Jamal Charles was like, right. This, uh, this amazing back that just needed to be unleashed. And he sat behind Thomas Jones, and you're just like, oh, so it does, so wait. That, that was my first kind of uh, understanding. They're like, oh, it doesn't matter what I think yeah. about the player, you know. Exactly. No,
0: totally. So, it's so frustrating, too, and we all see how talented someone is, and they just rot behind them. When, when you are forming that kind of talent evaluation, I, I'm sure you're well aware of that whole Twitter debate analytics versus film and, and how you, you know, you got to form your opinion with one or the other. Uh, do you buy that? Or do you lean one way versus the other? Or how do you kind of form your opinion on the player and their abilities?
1: I tend, I tend to, uh, for better or worse, probably for worse. I, t- I tend to look at everything, uh, with very few shades of gray, uh, you know, things mm-hmm. are, are black and white to me. And so I see a lot of, you know, this question has been talked about for a long time and rightfully so. I mean, it is, it's an interesting topic and it's one, it's one that determines, you know, a lot about the direction of the fantasy industry. So um, it's worth discussing. I see a lot of answers that are something like, uh, well, if you throw in a little film and a little numbers, then it's, that's the best. You know, that, that, that's, the, that's the best. You mix it up and, and that's the best. And that, that answer tends, I think, tends to make everybody happy uh you know rightfully mm. so you oh i get you know you you got my stuff you got his stuff everybody's validated but honestly i i really believe that uh a strict numbers based approach to fantasy football in the long run maybe not player by player every single season but in the long run you're going to mm. have more success doing that i i talked to before about i wish i could stop watching the games yeah. because i i believe that watching the games, at least for me, speaking just for myself, I believe that watching the games contaminates the way that I play the game because I uh, I see a player make an incredible catch or something, and that, that does, as a human, that affects the way that I see that player. So when I see a player on the waiver wire or, or I'm trying to acquire him via trade, I'm thinking about that catch, but I'm not thinking about the fact that he only had four targets, you know, that – Right. in that game you know so that's that's uh that's the sort of thing that I, I think it can lead you astray and
0: I think a, a good example of that a player we're going to be talking about in a few like Marquise Brown week one it's like this guy is so fucking oh yeah. you know, my god like he's going to do this every week even though he was on the field for I think like six plays and I think he had like four catches on those six plays it was something insane like yes. if you looked at the snaps you realize, okay, I don't know if I should go all in and blow my entire waiver wire budget right now. But, right. man, he's getting such good separation and blowing through the field. Mm-hmm. Like, he's got to be the next big thing. So that's a great example of it. Is there any types of stats or, like, analytics that you kind of lean to as, oh, you know, whether it's yards per route run or different types of analytics, is there any that you definitely look at every single year no matter what? Mm-hmm.
1: Yards per route run is, is is definitely a good one. It's a very sticky a stat that that it's worth looking at for anybody really uh you know for uh, for pass catchers and and quarterbacks you I tend to look at touchdown rate and whether it was low or high the previous year you know whether we can expect some sort of um, you know adju- adjustment in the following year some sort of regression so you know if if a if a wide receiver usually has a a touchdown rate of, I don't know, 12%. And he has, and the previous season he, he had an 18% touchdown rate, you know, that, that rings some alarms for me It says, okay, well, where is he, how is he being, is he being valued on the basis of an 18% touchdown rate? Because that's not going to happen again. Um, that, I mean, for most players it doesn't at least. And, and, um, and so that, yeah, I mean, touchdown rate is a big one. Trying to think of some others. Um, uh, I mean, if you if you look at, you know, routes run for tight ends, um, I think that that that's a big I just the reason that's on top of my mind, because I did a, a podcast on Friday, where we talked uh, about tight ends and the fact that uh, a lot of tight ends who make, you know, make plays when they're called upon, are not running that many routes. And in the end, route running is the only way and it sounds simple. But it's the only way that you're ever going to score points is if you're actually running, running a route. So you know it, it, those sort of things I really do focus on.
0: Absolutely. And, and the last couple here before you uh, move into this feature segment, the smorgasbord <laughs> here is uh, any tools or you know other sites or what it might be right. that you just kind of consider a game changer. You always look at
1: Rotoviz tools are yeah. pretty incredible. Um, I. I use Rotoviz tools more than any, and I, like I'm not paid by Rotoviz. Like yeah. I, I just, I just, I'm a fan, you know. And I've written for them a few times uh, using their tools, and it just it it gives you so much fodder to to, to, to think about mm-hmm. and to consider. And it's also uh, incredibly helpful, you know. I, I I actually use their range of outcomes tool um, for my annual fantasy equity report. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, fantasy equity score report and I use that along with projections that I make and uh to create the report and I you know find finding a player's range of outcomes I think is in, in incredibly helpful in understanding um what what his floor might be and what his ceiling might be uh instead of instead of just kind of the median projection of, of yeah. what of what we're looking at um so yeah I mean all, all those tools that are, really are pretty cool
0: I think, yeah, that's the, I, almost everyone, it might be batting a hundred percent there. Like everybody always, when I ask yeah. that one, Roto-Viz, it is, it's my first year actually subbing to it. And I just oh. am kicking myself for not doing it sooner. Like it's a playground. The first day I did it, I literally like sat at my computer, I think for 12 straight hours and was like, oh my God, yes. and, and you yeah. discover something new every time. It's so much Abs- fun.
1: Yeah, it really, <laughs> really is. I mean, it, I'm not, I'm not a super techie guy, but as right. soon as I figure out these tools, I'm. I'm hooked. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Um, and the last one here is what about other ana- uh, analysts that you know, that you just really respect? I'm sure mm-hmm. our listeners have probably heard of them, but it's always good. Just kind of shout out a few names that mm-hmm. uh, wolves you kind of consider that our, our listeners have got to follow if they're not already.
1: Uh, that, that guy, JJ, he's okay. Um, <laughs> he's, he's pretty really good. No, you know, J, JJ thinks so analytically about, mm-hmm. about the game, about, about everything, about everything. He's a supremely analytical guy. Um, and I I envy that about him I I think that he is just so incredibly level-headed that it's and it serves him well in fantasy football because he doesn't he doesn't tilt one way or the other you know he doesn't get too down and he doesn't get too up and he, he doesn't get rattled you know by by anything that's happening he just has has this very steady approach and it, it serves him well. I've I played with him in leagues for years and years. Um, and he's, he's always, you know, near the top. So JJ's one, Rich Rebar has a, uh, has a beautiful mind, mm-hmm. uh, fantasy football, beautiful mind. You know, I just picture him like Russell Crowe, just drawing on chalkboards, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, drawing on window, uh, on windows in, in restaurants. Uh, and, and Rich has, you know, a way of talking about the game that just really simplifies everything in a way that I'm like, I hear him talk or, or I'll, I'll chat with him. And I'm like, Oh God, man, you just broke it down. Like I've been thinking about that, that player, that offense for like a week and you just broke it down. Um, so yeah, Rich's advice is, is uh, invaluable. Uh, some other guys, uh, TJ Hernandez at four for four um, you know, he I think he has a really sharp way of looking at the game uh, and uh, Chris Rabon, um, at the uh, network the
0: action network yeah the yeah, action, action network. network right yeah, yeah I,
1: I, I, I i blanked there yeah i just i just talked to chris on friday um yeah uh, chris chris rabon is is great he was he was at uh, a draft day consultant believe it or not uh yeah, along nice. with along with tj and rich <laughs> and yeah. uh they and yeah that man when i look back at our, our 2015 2016 lineup at draft day consultants had had guys who like at the top of the industry now so we were we were cooking we were cooking that year and and uh but yeah, uh, yeah, Chris is uh, Chris is fun and funny about about how he looks at the game, and, but he's also can rattle off. He can rattle off stats and hit you with them, you know, at one after the other after the other, and not not even blink. You know, it's yeah. like not even hard for him to to remember. I you know, again, like his his brain works in a, like a different way, and, and I'm I'm always impressed.
0: awesome yeah again all all those guys especially rich and jj like you just hear these names over and over i think i've had eight nine ten wolves at this point this summer and the same two three people always get shouted out (laughs) along with some others it's it's funny it's you got to make sure if you're still somehow not following some of those names that you just keep hearing over and over Mm -hmm. listeners they're all fantastic and I'm, i'm hoping to get some of them on by the end of the summer too it's it's always good to pick their brains as well. Uh, but yeah, so now we're moving into part two, that kind of featured segment, that that mismatch of a bunch of different stuff here. And uh, I think we just dive right in. We, we previewed him already. Marquise Brown, you've been doing a great series over at 4 for 4 where you kind of pick a specific player. Mm-hmm. You, you talk about whether you like them at their price, you dislike them at their price, and, and project why you have that way and, and they've been great you've been really digging in deep thank you um i, I love that series I, and i actually had to change my my script late here today because you, you wrote one on marvin jones our next question i can't wait to talk about him too we have we haven't really talked about it but let's start with marquise brown the title he's a risky bet for 2020 and lately i feel like all i've been seeing is positive praise on him so it's definitely good to at least get a, a little bit of a pump the brakes for to present another type of uh, viewpoint on here. So yeah. what do you what do you think makes him a risky bet in twenty twenty? Why aren't you drinking the Kool Aid as much as some others maybe?
1: Sure, sure. Uh, well, uh, you know, I felt like a little bit of a hypocrite because uh, two weeks ago I wrote a piece about how I like him to go over his um, you know his prop bet for receiving yards mm-hmm. this year, which I I, I think is eight hundred yards. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I'll check that real quick here. But, I think it's um,
0: 800. Yeah, is right. I'm pretty sure. 800 and, um, and a half, maybe.
1: Yeah. Okay. Like so, it's, yeah, I, here's what I wrote. I said, uh, I like Brown to go over his prop of 800 and a half receiving yards a season, though. That's hardly a tall task. 42 receivers went for more than 800 yards last year. So, mm-hmm. you know, I I believe that he will do that, but he's being drafted in a place where if he doesn't do that, he'll be a disastrous pick mm-hmm. this year. I call them risky because I think if you are someone who is drafting running backs and tight ends and quarterbacks earlier than usual, earlier than most people, and you look at, you look at Marquise Brown, and you say, that's my wide receiver too. You know, I'm, I'm going to use my first two picks on running backs. I'm going to grab a, an, an elite tight end Andrews or something. Uh, and then, you know, depending on the kind of league you're in, you can get a top quarterback and then you get down, you know, down into the what, what? Where is he going? The seventh or eighth round?
0: Yeah, right around and,
1: there. And then, and then, you know, I, I'm going. So Brown is still he's still going to have these spike weeks, which is great. But he's but it's not going to be, probably not going to be a smoothed out sort of production that you want from your wide receiver two. Now, if you draft him as your wide receiver four right. or five, then I think I think that's the play, um, because mm-hmm. you don't have to. You don't have to have them. You don't have to plug them in. You you can you know exploit his good matchups. Um, you know this this does hinge on the Ravens offense continuing to be incredibly run heavy. They were the run heaviest offense in the league last year. Fifty four percent of their plays, other of offensive snaps or rushes. That might come come back you know a little bit this year, maybe to more of a 50-50 split. But any offense that's led by Lamar Jackson is going to be run heavy. Right and being the number two option on a run heavy offense, you know, uh, it for fantasy purposes, it's um it doesn't it's not always great. I mean, you you think about like Tyler Lockett back when Doug Baldwin was in Seattle, and you know Seattle's super run heavy back then. Still, always I guess, um in in 150 years, I'll still be running the ball. Unfortunately, uh, yeah. (laughs) Um, but uh, you know, and and Tyler Lockett, you know, seemed like a like a solid pick, but you because you know he's the number two receiver but the number two receiver on a on a run heavy team is like the number four receiver really on a pat on a pass heavy team um so that's that's how i that's how i see brown I, i do like him if if you don't need him as your wide receiver too
0: yeah, it is it that is a fantastic point. It, if you can plug him into the flex those weeks where it is projected right. to be a little bit of a shootout, maybe they're facing the Chiefs and it's like, all right, they're yes. going to have to keep the air under the ball. I, you know, it, Rich I, I was listening to one with him and he was on fits on fantasy and he made a take that that I really liked at first cuz he he was saying, you know, well, look at that playoff game where things didn't go according to play, this was like the perfect season for the Ravens. And, you know, he's still, Lamar Jackson went, cr- you know, crazy. But look at that playoff game where things went awry. And he's still at you know, 365 throwing and 143 rushing. And then you look at Marquise Brown, his best game, you know, seven for 126. Like, what if it just doesn't go as smoothly for the Ravens? I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I can see that ceiling. And it's a really good point by Rich. But then it's also like, they added collias Campbell and Patrick Quinn with the first round pick and Derek Wolf. And it, that defense still looks pretty damn good. And I, I don't know. I don't mm. see, I, I'm kind of on, I'm leaning to your side on this one too, where it's just like, I, I'd love that narrative of it. You know, backyard ball with Lamar Jackson every week would be oh, insane. Yeah, it'd be awesome, and oh, we'd God. all love it. <laughs> yeah. but unfortunately, you know, I, I don't know. I don't see it either. The only other thing I did read uh, a lot of reports coming in this offseason where he was never fully healthy last year, and now yeah, he just yeah. is. You know, training so much harder. He's added a bunch of you know muscle. Whether he keeps the speed or not, just everyone's saying he's kind of like grown into his body a little bit more. Because that he looks like a pipsqueak. Honestly, at times yeah. you see his picture, he's like this guy is tiny. How's he in the NFL? So <laughs> if he's in that, you know, if, if he was getting separation the way he was when he wasn't fully healthy you know maybe he just maybe he's going to be one of those guys that just even on such low volume you get one of those huge plays kind of Tyree Kill when he was a rookie for that like Mm -hmm. kind of crazy stretch you know he only needed two or three plays to to change the game there is that ceiling but I I think I'm leaning with you on this one I I don't know if I'm, I'm touching him too much
1: I just I just don't think that he's he is a great target um for you know running back heavy teams but yeah that that Tennessee game, uh, in that Tennessee game last year in the playoffs, Brown Brown ran sixty six pass routes. Uh, he was in on eighty five percent of the Ravens' snaps, and uh, he had eleven targets. So it's uh, if man, if we could get some something even resembling that um, yeah. throughout the year, man, you're talking about Brown as like a a wide receiver one. Exactly.
0: Unfortunately, I, I don't expect it. I bet you you could do like a that math out. Like sixty six routes. It probably took him like eleven weeks of the season to hit sixty six routes, if, yeah. as compared to that one game. You right. know what I mean? Right. Like it was it wild there. Um. But the the wide receiver that you know you are high on, and I'd rather have than Marquise Brown two at cost right now. Marvin Jones. Right. Uh. We both fully agree on, and we haven't had much pod material on this guy at all. But you called him a must draft at his current ADP. So. What do you like so much about Marvin Jones? I'm, I'm on board, too, but I'd love to yeah. hear what you, you say about him.
1: Yeah, it's just, uh, um, you know, like I was talking about earlier, opportunity. You know, he had seven and a half targets per game before Stafford went down last year. Um, that passing offense in Detroit uh, was just ripping opposing secondaries mm-hmm. week after week. Um, Jones will continue to benefit from teams, you know, shading coverage and leaning toward – uh, shutting down Kenny Galladay, um, and you know that leaves that leaves him leaves Jones in in a, in a really good spot, and Stafford obviously knows how to exploit that sort of matchup as he did a lot last year. Um, another another thing that really surprised me because you know I think we all remember uh, Marvin Jones Marvin Jones's big game against the Vikings. He, he caught four touchdowns, uh, ten passes uh, in that game. I thought, you know, just from that game, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to look into this. I'm sure it's, it'll be touchdown regression the wrong way in 2020. But in fact, it's, it's not. It, won't, it would not be. Um, he, his career rate is around 12%, and last year it was 9%. So it's not a huge gap, but it's, it's, not a, it's not a situation where he had an unreasonable number of touchdowns, and that's why he was thriving, you know, as a fantasy player. Uh, it, during what, while Stafford was in uh, for half the season last year, so um, I I think you know where he's going in the draft. He's the most appealing, certainly the most appealing wide receiver in that part of the draft. Uh, and and I think that no matter how you build your lineup, uh, you it makes sense to to take him. You know, it's a it's yeah. a luxury to have him as your wide receiver four. I also think if you if you just hammer running back early and often, and you get him as your wide receiver two or three. I think that's fine, too.
0: And he's kind of one of the reasons I, I almost exclusively do hammer running back. You never want to lock yourself into a strategy, but when you can get him, you have him right here in your article. He's being taken as the wide receiver at 39, so, I mean, 7, 8, sometimes even round 9. I think I got him in the Scott Fishbowl round, like, 12 or something crazy mm. like that, and and I love the point you make here, too, is the disparity between him and Kenny Galladay. I mean, 10 fantasy points even yeah. before that blow up, like forty seven targets for Jones to fifty five for, for Galladay. The only huge disparity here right now is is Galladay's going early round three, sometimes round two, and you can get Jones six, seven rounds later. So yeah. I mean that's not I'm not an anti Galladay. I love Galladay. He's a he's a beast and maybe he takes his game to another level, but that that lack of disparity is kind of crazy for for the way they're being priced. So I'm all sure. with
1: you. Yeah, I think it could be we could see a scenario pretty easily this year uh, where Marvin Jones ends up with like 15 fewer targets than Kenny Galladay. So we're talking about you know around one per game, right? Fewer. If, if, if are they are the are they the kind of targets that Galladay will get? You know the, those um, big splash kind of opportunities that Galladay gets. No, but that's why one is going in the second or third round and one's going in, in the middle of the draft.
0: Yeah. And, but they also too, the the red zone chemistry between him and Stafford, like he doesn't get quite the big play, but Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, he's got that great body control. Even when he was with Cincinnati, like he's Mm -hmm. just so acrobatic with his body that he still gets some pretty valuable volume, even if it's a little bit less. So I, I'm with you. I'm all about that, that price. And, and I, I'm taking him every draft too. He's a must buy, regardless of how you've composed your team up to that point. So I I love it. You, you already kind of hinted at, your prop bet series, you mentioned you have it over on Marquise Brown. And that's been another fantastic one. You can find it on 4 for 4, where you've been picking kind of three player bets that you, you love uh, at each position. So far, so far, I think you've got nine total released mm-hmm. uh, between running backs and quarterbacks and wide receivers. Is there like a single one that you're just like, I'm Damn. hammering that one. That's my favorite of all the props.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I'd have to say Jonathan Taylor is, yeah. is my, my favorite prop and um i i did the math I'm, I'm trying to find it here but i did i did the math on what it would take for him to go over uh mm. his prop of 700 and a half rushing yards um and you know just for instance you know four for four projection which you know four for four has some of the best projections in the industry has taylor at 966 yards so it's it's a it's not even close you know mm. uh, as far as the, you know, 700 compared to 966. And uh, so here's what I figured. Um, If he gets um, about a third of the team's rushes at four and a half yards per carry, which was the Colts team average last year, he would go over 700. So if he gets one third of their carries, okay, this is the, you know, a guy, a, a running back drafted in the second round by a team that, you know for you know better or worse prides itself on you know destroying the opponent and running the ball and establishing the run you know and they run a lot and they will continue to uh, pretty much no matter the game flow no matter game script Uh, so that's like worst case scenario and he still would go over now you know he gets up to the 45 50 percent range as far as carries go he's he's blowing away that mark even if even if he doesn't have a Sterling, you know, yards per carry. So, uh, you know, the only way that you could think that he won't go over 700, 700 yards is, is A, obviously injury, or B, that the team says Marlon Mack is still our guy and, you know, Taylor can, can come in when, when Mack needs a breather or when Mack is, uh, um, or when Mack is injured. You know, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty much the only scenario I could see. I love that, that problem.
0: I, I it's too easy it's, like it's too easy everything you're saying there is like <laughs> I, I mean I only see the best case with this guy too why would you trade up in round two at a position that shouldn't really necessarily be considered a need if you really loved Marlon Mack behind that line nonetheless too I mean this guy was I loved watching him at Wisconsin I mean I think he was probably my favorite running back in this class and you, you give him a dreamboat scenario outside Marlon Mack but let's say that that you're saying he only needs 33%. What if that flips and he's the 60% guy and Marlon Mack's the 40% guy? Right. It's, it's a no-brainer. Pat, Pat Fitzmore is one of the best rankers in the game. I think number two last year came on the pod and his bold prediction of the year was he thinks Taylor's going to lead the league in rushing as a rookie. So, you know, that ceiling's I, yeah. in there, right?
1: Like, his floor is far higher than 700 yards, in my opinion. Sure. I mean, you know, and, and I, I would not, honestly, I think that that is definitely in the range of outcomes there could be a scenario. And I think I mentioned this in the, in the piece where Taylor doubles his prop, Yeah, you
0: know, where oh, he goes for yards. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that, that one to me, I, I, if I was, I read all, all your prop ones and that was the one I circled <laughs> too. So it's funny we're we're in agreement to that one. I, I really like that one. Thank you uh, for sure. I, I couldn't, I didn't even believe it. Like as, as soon as I saw yeah. that, like, how is that? I, I Cause I'm not even the highest on Taylor as a rookie. And so I hadn't even researched his props, and was just like, "That's it, seven hundred. That's all he has to hit." Very Much.
1: conservative, yeah.
0: Ridiculous. Um, but now we got to get to the the your your bread and butter, your position, the one that most want to get rid of in fantasy right now. <laughs> a lot consider it stream and forget. You can't take them before the last round. The the kicker, the most hated position in fantasy from pretty much everyone other than you. And (laughs) You got a a great article called The Kicker Process. So not only do you love kickers, you have a process behind it. How to find fantasy value. Uh, It's on 4 for 4 again. What is the process? What do you do to find a good kicker?
1: Yeah. So, uh, and just for the record, you know, I'm I'm all about taking a kicker with your last pick of the draft or second yeah. to last. So, uh, you know, I'm I, I'm not I'm definitely not saying uh, you know hammer butker in the in the ninth. Um, so the the process, if if I can make it as simple as possible, it's uh, you know find a kicker attached to an offense that has a pretty good implied total for the week if we're just talking about one week type type things yeah uh, a good implied total at home uh, and their team is uh favored and or slight underdogs i you know i'm not crazy about going with kickers on underdog teams but if it's you know one point maybe two points it's it's reasonable but i would prefer you know the team has uh the team is favored and the reason is because uh kickers on teams that are favored going into the week have a much better chance of kicking field goals in the second half of the game uh, because the team is likely not chasing points and can settle uh, for field goals in the third and fourth quarter. Um, so that's roughly, that's roughly the process, you know, uh, accuracy really doesn't matter unless it's, unless it's, you know, getting ridiculous, unless we're talking about something under, under 80% and also uh kicker, uh, you know, the length of a, of a kicker, kicker's range you know kicker's range doesn't matter either um i see a lot of questions on sunday morning saying uh well so and so is kicking in denver in the thin air and you know i'm like I, that's what you you want me to project like uh this guy kicking a 65 yard today i mean I, I you know who knows right uh so yeah i mean it's as simple as that you want your you want your kicker to be able to benefit from good game scripts
0: Absolutely. Um, and in that sense, then who are, I guess, you know, you're kind of taking it that week by week approach, but entering the season uh, and I know there's another article you wrote about, you know, some late round sleeper kickers, Yeah, late mm-hmm. round, they're always the last couple of <laughs> rounds, but still some sleeper kickers and offenses yeah. who are some that you're kind of definitely targeting. Is there any that you're, you're avoiding with this process now?
1: Um, yeah. I mean, you know, Matt Gay comes to mind. I wrote him up uh from Atlanta, uh, yeah. you know, you know Atlanta with uh, Matt Bryant yes. they produced, uh, you know some of the best kicking opportunity and that's what we we're after we're after opportunity you know we don't we don't focus on um, you know on so many you know how many kicks are made or you know how long the kicks are whatever we focus on how many oper- how many attempts they've had uh, so Matt Bryant for years benefited from the Matt bryant led offense in Atlanta and I think you know and who did last Kue was the number one kicker overall for the time. In the in the six or seven week period he was with mm-hmm. Atlanta, so um, I, I expect that to continue roughly around that around that kind of pace going into into this year. So those are those are two guys I'm targeting. But I did another piece on um, actual field goal attempts versus expected field goal attempts from last year. So based on uh, the yardage that a team uh, gains, um, you would expect a certain amount of field goals and. Uh, teams that pop out as regression candidates, you know, teams that will likely attempt a lot more field goals this year are the Titans, yeah. uh, the, the the Giants, who I guess have a new kicker now, um, yeah. and uh, it, uh, Catman, right? Catanzaro. Yeah, Catanzaro, Catanzaro yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man, I missed that guy. Um, actually, I don't because I remember uh, touting him when he missed, like, three field goals. So. Um. <laughs> Uh, and uh, and believe it or not, the Ravens are prime our prime regression candidate for field goal attempt uh, attempts this year, which makes for me it makes Justin Tucker uh, the pick among the elite kickers. Now you're you're probably not going to get a chance, but if you are in a league where people properly value kicker and Tucker is available in the second to last round, along with say Will Lutz or something. I, I would take Tucker for that reason because he got extremely unlucky last year as far as attempts go. I, and, uh, you know, we, we don't expect that to continue into this year.
0: And I always love – I do some auction drafts too, just like that early nomination at $1 Justin Tucker and nobody wants to pay up more than uh, a buck for a kicker. So lock him in early, piss everybody off, set a, set a tone to the, the draft. I think Tucker's a great one to go after. Yeah, Is he, is he the number one kicker of, of 2020 for you?
1: Uh, yeah, I would. I would say so. I don't. I don't do rankings, but yeah. I mean, yeah. the it's based on what I just said, like, like if if him and Butker and Lutz are available for you, in the second to last round, uh, even the third to last, eh, depending on the depending yeah. on the number of rounds, um, I would I would lean toward Tucker. Some other teams that I expect to have more field goal attempts this year: the Texans. The Raiders, although the Raiders are probably not going to be good enough to really uh, bank on, Uh, and the Seahawks, and you know the Seahawks uh, got Jason Myers got unlucky last year with with field goal attempts. So those are all guys who I think could make good good picks and and might might even you know shape up to be every week starters.
0: Absolutely, and and we you suggested especially towards later rounds. You look at what are some untapped sources of volume or potential sources of volume, and you've got. Again, another really good series on 4 for 4 I keep saying that on late round tight ends right now, late round sources yeah. of volume yeah. for tight ends. And you've kind of been picking and choosing. That's, I mean, that was the recipe for Mark Andrews, a talented guy that's just got a much higher source of volume than that they most expected, e- even though they kept raving about how he was the MVP in our training camp and the number yeah. one target. And all the coach speak ended up coming into fruition there, and a late source of volume at tight end led to one of the single biggest season changers of 20, uh, 2019. You identified a few different guys. Is there one or two you want to highlight here as like the one you feel the strongest about?
1: Yeah. You know, I, I highlighted Eric Ebron, Chris Herndon, Blake Jarwin and uh, CJ Uzama uh, in Cincinnati. Um, mm-hmm. the, the Uzama thing was, was more based on the volume of, of of plays, I think the Bengals are set to run a lot of plays and throw a lot of passes this season. And Uzama is penciled in as the starting tight end, uh, and he's available. You know, pro- he'll probably be on the waiver wire in you know eighty percent of leagues. So, um but I think he's someone to keep an eye on. Uh, Jarwin, I think, is almost like too obvious of a of a pick where he's going. Um, I mean, his his ADP still in the twelfth or thirteenth round. Uh, you know, Jason Witten, who was basically just a statue running routes uh, the last, you know, two of the, or three of the past four years with Dak Prescott was, you know, seeing 15, 16, 17% target share. Even if Jarwin only got that, that much, um, I think you're, you're talking about a, a major value there. And then, you know, for, for Herndon, the the appeal is that, first of all, I didn't know this, but he had the 20th or 21st best uh, fantasy season for a tight end ever, for a rookie tight end ever. Really? Does that make oh. sense? Did I say that right? Yeah. Rookie tight end, 21st best season ever. Um, and, uh, you know, last year was a lost season. I think we can just kind of wipe that away. Uh, but the, the Jets lost more air yards and more targets uh, from last year to this year than any team in the league. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of opportunity for him to step in and, and, and see – uh, see opportunity in that in that offense I mean you know we don't love Adam Gase offenses for tight ends but uh you'll you'll take it in the 16th round or whatever
0: absolutely now and, and there's been a couple seasons it might be more of a product of Peyton Manning but I remember Julius Thomas under yes. Gase again probably more so Peyton Manning than than Adam Gase there but there's definitely a handful of was I trying to think there's a couple others I remember pointing to in a few articles I wrote too oh Jordan so, Cameron Yes, that's the one, Jordan Cameron. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. who it is. Yep. I was thinking of the Browns. I thought Barney, but I was not not Barney. Cameron, yes. So definitely. We're gonna now jump to the the no huddle offense. I did wanna we, we had a little bit of improv planned. Can I throw one at you before uh-huh. we jump into the no-huddle offense? So sure. I did this with uh, Pete Overzet. I know you guys do some some hilarious stuff together on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And this one was my personal favorite of his. Uh, so let's see how you handle this one. It's called Industry Stereotypes and the, the one I picked here he just I, he knocked it out of the park um the the, the stereotype is it if you need a minute to kind of think what you want to mm-hmm, say, mm-hmm. all good, but it is Vinny, the film grinder who will die in the honor uh defending the honor of running backs and how much they matter
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right, let me think here yeah <laughs> uh i think I feel I have to roll up my sleeves maybe uh maybe put it maybe put a pack of cigarettes in my sleeve uh. Yeah, I mean, the, the 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 running back guys are funny because they get so passionate about yes. because it's it's the nature of the the position, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's like, look at this guy run; he runs through him. He doesn't run around him. He runs through him. He doesn't care about yardage. He just wants domination. You know that that this this sort of extremely high testosterone yes. uh, uh, take on on running backs. It's it's almost like um it's like sometimes like I'll watch a running back. And I'll think, uh, well, he didn't have to run into that guy. He could have just gone around him and, right. and, sco- and scored. But instead, he, goes, he hits him hard and embarrasses him. But he's down at the two-yard line. Uh, so, but but you know, Vinny, Vinny would be like, "Hell oh, yes, that's what you do. It's football. You know, that's, that's, uh, that would be my, my best impression.
0: Love it. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that was, that's, uh, Pete was saying something like the film, he was really approaching that. Like, how do you do, do spreadsheets tell you how the hips swivel Do the hips swivel on your <laughs> spreadsheets and stuff. It, it was fantastic. I was losing it on air while you're saying it. That's um, but good. yeah, if it, I know we got to get, get rolling here. So do you mind uh, running through this quick, quick, you know, gut reaction, one or two words, it's called the know how to offense. You mind running through that with me real quick? All righty, no huddle offense here. We run every industry wolf through this one. Rapid fire questions to wrap up the show. Uh, if you feel like expanding on them, you're welcome to, but kind of just let it rip what name comes mm-hmm. to mind. You ready? Mm-hmm. All righty, after Christian McCaffrey, the number two player should be?
1: Mm, Kamara.
0: Ooh, the next Dalvin Cook or round two running back who's going top five in 2021 is going to be?
1: I got to look at ADPs real quick. So, wait, the next – okay, so we're talking about round two running yeah. back. Right. Okay. Kind of
0: like the Miles Sanders, you know, the, uh, the right, Kenyon right. Drakes, the Ecklers. Oh, I'm trying to think. Josh Jacobs goes there sometimes, Hilaire.
1: Okay, okay. Uh, uh, shoot. Oh, man, that's tough. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go – with, yeah, I'll go with Eckler, sure. I think, I think Eckler is, is around for the long haul, fantasy-wise.
0: Absolutely, I totally agree. Do you have a favorite fantasy team name that you either had or you've seen in another league?
1: I, there are some, I mean, I'm always a fan of the crude ones. Uh, yes. the, um, the one that I had that I shared with Living the Stream listeners once, so it was mm-hmm. very, more embarrassing than I, than I ever could have dreamed. Uh, for some reason, I named my first fantasy team the Maryland Mediocres, which is the, the, low, the nerdiest, lowest team thing I've ever done in my life. Just the Mediocres. The Mediocres. You know, I mean, uh, like, like what, what, I, I don't even know what I was thinking. Like, like I'm, I'm going to be self-deprecating, guys. I'm going to call my team the Mediocres.
0: Right. If you're yeah. gonna self deprecate, at least go like real hard. Just me yeah. right in the middle of the <laughs> That's I'll be fantastic. Right. I'll be okay. Uh <laughs> the uh the next Chris Godwin or round four or five kind of wide receiver who then
1: explodes into the elite would be Man, I forgot that did did he go in the fourth or fifth round last year?
0: Yeah, he was falling to four not fifth usually by the time like real drafts were happening, but round Dang, four, man. so yeah. That's
1: wild. Uh AJ Brown, yeah. I mean you yeah. know. Uh, he's, <laughs> I was looking at, you know, thinking, thinking about Metcalf, but no, I mean, the nature of the Seahawks offense. And then I was thinking about DJ Moore, but no, <laughs> I, uh, it's, it's Brown.
0: 2020's Mark Andrews. Well, we kind of just talked about that or breakout tight end. Which of the ones do you say is going to be that next big breakout?
1: Yeah. Um, I, I really, I know we just talked about Herndon. I really feel like he is. What the like the prototypical post hype sleeper, you know, last year people were hungry to draft him in, in seasonal leagues and then, and then stash him for some unholy reason. I have no idea why anybody would do that with a tight end. I mean, if you're talking about one tight end league, you know, right. um, but uh, I, think it, I think it could be him. I also honestly, we've seen Eric Ebron do it. Mm-hmm. Like we've seen Eric Ebron come from the depth to be mm-hmm. a plugged in fantasy starter. Uh, and I know, you know, he he kind of gimps around the field, and it's kind of ugly, but, you know, I think that he has a chance of really producing in that Pittsburgh offense.
0: Absolutely. Who is your most hated NFL player, and it's ideally for a fantasy-specific reason?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, current... It could be current. It could
0: be past. Yeah. You can go either okay. way. If there's someone who just fills uh-huh. you with the most rage possible.
1: Right. I see so I, I don't think I've ever really emotionally recovered from a, a Jordy Nelson drop in, uh, I don't want to say 2014, uh, against Buffalo. Uh, Aaron Rodgers threw a, a bullet, hit him in the hands, hit, hitting Jordy Nelson in the hands. Nelson would have been gone for an 85-plus-yard touchdown, oh. and it would have – I mean, for me, just speaking from what I, what I was doing that day, it would have – I would have won my semifinals in two leagues that I eventually oh. lost if he would have just <laughs> hung on to just a very simple pass, and ca- a pitch and catch, as Steve, as Steve Spurrier would say, pitch and catch, and uh, he dropped it. And I'm still, uh, all these years later, I'm still recovering.
0: Oh, man, that is painful, especially when it's more than one league, too, like that. That's, that's, that's brutal. Um, yeah, if there was somehow another Lamar Jackson or Pat Mahomes this year, it would be?
1: <laughs> that's that's a hard one. Oh yeah oh ooh, baby um I mean I want to say I want to say Joe Burrow mm. I I kind of like that Cincinnati offense like I, I kind of I feel like like picking up pieces of that offense is is not going to be not going to be terrible I mean you know there's always Josh Allen he's going in the ninth I suppose but I mean, you need someone who's going to explode either, you know, completely just crush teams through the air or have a lot of rushing yardage, a lot of Konami code. So, you know, I think Burrow can have that going for him. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I'll go. Yeah, I'll go with him.
0: I like it. What early rounder first or second is going to bust the hardest?
1: Hmm. I thought this was a family show. Um, the, <laughs> So I really do I really do think that people confidently taking Kenyon Drake at the end of the first round are putting a lot of confidence in the fact that he's going to be like the guy throughout the season for Arizona, uh, when I mean, he had a nice run. Yeah, he had a nice run last year. I just don't know if I'm ready to like go go in on him in, in that situation. I think that he, he jumps out as one who, you know, who could definitely be a bust. And another one, and this is purely because of his backfield mate, is Nick Chubb. Um, who do you
0: think – oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Go
0: ahead. I, I was just going to go right on because I know I, keep, I feel bad. It took so much of your time here. No, I want to keep firing through him. Uh. But, yeah, who do you think gained the most value in the 2020 offseason?
1: Right. Mm, good question having gained the most value. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I really, I should have, I should have really looked at these. Um, before. No, no worries. <laughs> uh, well, uh, yeah. I, I mean, Adam Thielen uh, gained yeah. a bunch. I, I really think that his, his target um, ceiling in that offense, especially if the Vikings struggle a little bit and can't really establish like they like to, I mean, you know, he could be top three, four uh, in targets in the league come come years end.
0: Absolutely, and which middle round guy? Rounds five through seven or so. You won't leave those middle rounds without blank.
1: Mm. <laughs> I always like that. It's always a fun time of year when you say, "I'm not leaving the draft without this player," <laughs> <laughs> and then someone takes them two rounds ahead of their ADP, and you're like, "Yeah, yeah no. <laughs> but, what can you do?" Uh, yeah, um, I, I do have a player. I, I find myself not being able to pass up DJ Chark in the fifth round Uh, you know he just really really looks like a guy who could benefit from just a ton of negative game script a ton of Gardner Minshew just dropping back and flinging it downfield to him Uh, and you know a a potentially very heavily targeted player who's being drafted I mean you you just look where where he's being drafted He's, he's after DK Metcalf I mean, Chark, Chark could see 30 more targets than I cap this year.
0: Do you ever play the board game Settlers of Catan?
1: I've heard of it. I've never played it. Uh,
0: nobody's – I'm like 0 for 20 on that one. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the next sophomore wide receiver after or even before A.J. Brown, who would you take?
1: Uh, McLaurin.
0: Mm-hmm. He's everybody saying him. That's that's a very common <laughs> name. Uh, what do you think? Target hogs or workhorse backs? What do you prefer?
1: I'm going to change my McLaurin answer. I'm sorry. I'm I want to I want to go with Cortland Sutton.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah,
1: nice on that one. Uh, um, so your your question again
0: target hogs or workhorse backs? What do you prefer?
1: Mm. So target hog receivers versus workhorse backs? Yes. I mean, uh, it it really does depend. If you're talking about like a standard league where you can only start two receivers, I'm probably leaning toward the workhorse. If you're talking about a PPR where you can start three or four receivers in a given week, I'm going with the receiver.
0: What about Alvin Kamara, James Conner, Austin Eckler? They were all top five running backs that you could get after round seven or eight. Hmm. Do you see anybody this year that could be the next one of those?
1: You know, usually it, it requires an injury, but, but we can't obviously project those. Hmm. I'm, I'm, I mean, I guess the, the, the natural one is Dobbins, you know, that mm. that's the the one that I would think could, could happen easily without a, uh, without an injury. Yeah. I'll go with Dobbins. Love it.
0: What is your ideal league settings?
1: Mm. Yeah. PPR forever and ever. Mm. Uh, no, no half measures with half PPR. Mm. Um, and no caveman leagues with 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 standard scoring (laughs) (laughs) and i i prefer three wide receivers i prefer a flex at least one at least one flex honestly um and yeah that's that's pretty much it and of course of course it must have a kicker a kicker spot (laughs) if it doesn't have a kicker spot i'm out i'm out
0: After Michael Thomas and Devontae Adams, owners should take blanket wide receiver.
1: God, I want Adams everywhere. Um, Yeah, Uh, I want Tyreek after those two for sure.
0: Out of all the coaching moves, who was the most important hire and who do you think is going to be most impacted by that hire?
1: I'm kind of – you know, it might be recency bias because I spent a lot of today looking at the Browns' offense, but uh, it might be the Browns' new coach, uh, Stefanski. Am Mm -hmm. I saying that right? I (laughs) think so.
0: Stefanski, Stefanski?
1: (laughs) Stefanski. (laughs) Uh, Because, you know, he brings – he's going to bring a a faster pace uh, to that offense. Um, That offense just basically won't be nearly as dysfunctional as it was last year. It was barely – operating at like a professional level at some at some points during the season um it even had a sl- the, the browns even had a slow pace when they were down uh late in games if you look at the the stats on that so uh I, and i think that you know faster pace more plays more chances and i think that you know more more chances to go downfield to obj and i think an, a healthy obj in that offense um with some, downfield pass regression coming his way uh, I think that he would be he the most heavily impacted by the new the new coaching the, the new offensive system
0: do running backs matter
1: well I, I, I like I really like to say running back doesn't matter because I I, I don't I don't want to dehumanize uh, you know the people <laughs> playing playing running backs and and I'm all I'm all about running backs getting paid I love to see When a team says, Mm -hmm. we love the running back. We love you. We're giving you a hundred million dollars. That's great. I I always want to see that. So running back definitely doesn't matter though. And we, we see that over and over and over again. Like, you know, I'm the most recent uh, great example would be CJ Anderson, you know, stepping off the streets into the Rams backfield and being, being dominant. Mm -hmm. And, um, so, yeah, and, and the game, the way that the game uh, is today and the way the league has made the game today, uh, the position certainly doesn't matter. And you see, you see teams recognizing that now, um, for, for better or worse.
0: And last two here, what is the funniest either last place punishment side bet? If you've ever seen one that you're like, that was a great one that uh, listeners should consider for their own leagues.
1: Uh, I I did uh, see someone had to read War and Peace and do a book report on it. Um, for yeah, and that's that's a that's a heavy heavy that list. Uh, I I've never read it. I don't think I would ever dream of of trying to read it. But yeah, that that's a that's a tough tough punishment. I, I'm not I'm not a fan of of the punishment thing mm. in fantasy leagues, especially if it's like. Something like, you know, oh, you got to wear a dress and stand out on the corner or something. That's, that's not, you know, that's not cool. Um, right. And uh, or, or like the tattoo ones. I mean, you, like, you, you got to just be out of your mind to, to, agree, <laughs> to agree to that. Although I, I do have draft day consultant clients come to me sometimes and say, there's a terrible punishment for last place in my league. I need you to make sure I don't finish last. I mean, and I'm sorry, they'll come to me in week 12 and say this. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, I'll say, and, and, they're, and they're in less. I'm like, oh, okay, what's the punishment? And they'll, and they'll actually tell me, I can't tell you. <laughs> and I'm like. It must oh, be horrible. Oh, wait, are, are they going to, like, kidnap your family or something? <laughs> and so I, uh, I uh, yeah, I, I'm not, not a huge fan of that. But, yeah, the war and peace one's pretty, pretty rough.
0: And last, what are your boldest 2020 fantasy prediction? And then you just remind our listeners where they can kind of find you and connect and Mm -hmm. and see your work.
1: Boldest 2020 prediction is that Teddy Bridgewater will be a top 12 quarterback. Love it. And I wrote about him for Roto World. If folks would like, check that out. And then um, you can check me out at CD Carter 13 on the Twitter. And uh, Living the Stream is the podcast I do with JJ. We have a, a Patreon with lots of hashtag content, if that's your thing. Awesome.
0: And, of course, the Draft Day consultants, especially in one of these crazy seasons, as we talked about earlier. CD, thank you so much, Denny, for all the time you gave me today. Your, your yeah. thoughtful answers. Everything was fantastic. It was an absolute pleasure, my man. Really appreciate yes. having you on.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Congrats on being one step closer to those 2020 titles. Be sure to check out ffbdpod.com for show notes from this and any other episode. And if you haven't already, it would mean the world to hear your thoughts in the reviews and to share it out with friends that you're not going to face in fantasy leagues this year. Thanks again, Wolf Pack. Until next time, Wolf is out. We used to have it all. Now's our curtain call, so hold for the applause, oh, 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 and wave out to the crowd, and take our final bow, oh, it's our time to go, but at least we stole the show, 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 at least we stole the show. Stole the show. Straight ahead, Douglas, second after.